hey, remember when the Von Erichs fought the Freebirds? That was cool. That was great stuff. Yeah, okay. Do you have any insight into that or? No. No? Not I so just, much. Just, just to watch it. It was cool. All right. Let me. Remember when, remember when Dusty and the Four Horsemen were fighting? That was cool. That is cool. Do you remember um, when you told me that Night of the Skywalkers wasn't the show where Jim Cornette hurt his knee? No. It's on the last episode? I got hit in the head this weekend. Let's start the show. For those who do not know, the biggest wrestling spectacular names from all over the country former champions I've never seen anything like it Eddie Graham Florida promotion Vern Gagne superstar Billy Graham Road Warriors Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis Tennessee Bill Watts Jerry Jarrett Dory Funk Harley Race uh, Nick Bockwinkel this is Cigars in Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars in Conversations, brought to you by our good friends at All the Gimmicks. Yes, Astro Radio Z changed your name to All the Gimmicks uh, and iTunes, and we are now officially on Stitcher and Google Play. So, uh... Thank you to everybody. Uh, I'm your co-host, Jay Gilkay, and I'm sitting with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared the ring with a who's who of talent that ranges far and wide from Corporal Robinson to Marcus Crane. It's kind of like saying uh, it spans a vast valley from the TV to the couch, right? A wrestler, manager, commentator, and a trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications, and who never actually paid any sort of money to learn how to wrestle. Yeah. Uh, with 20 years of experience, he's a true renaissance man with unlimited knowledge and unlimited stories and the ability to answer all your questions. Ladies and gentlemen, I am speaking of the incomparable, the one, the only, Derek St. Holmes. Hello. Hey, how are you? Uh, Good. As you gave me that wonderful roll-up, I saw that... Uh, I've been outbid for my issue of Marvel Premiere number 50 featuring Alice Cooper, which is uh, something I've been wanting to buy because I remember seeing it on the stands when I was nine years old. How high would you go? Uh, I went 10 bucks on it. Actually, I saw I got outbid on this earlier, so I went and bought it somewhere else. But now added up, I think I got it a dollar cheaper than I would have got it here. Very nice. But it was only a very fine copy that I got, which is fine because I just want to read it. I'm fine with readers myself. Yes. I'm about uh, seven, I think I'm 78 issues away from having the entire first run of Avengers from 1966. Oh, nice. Um, clearly, it's like issues one through 20. I think I have like two or three right. in there, but then uh, two or three then different ones. Then you get into the Don Heck years. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So it's like any, I'm, I don't, I have everything from 98 to the end of the run. So, and then it's spotty from oh. in the rest of it. You mean issue 98? Yeah, from issue like, 98. No, yeah, yeah. That was, but they restarted it, it like six times yeah. at the end no, there. Uh, so, yeah, so I have everything from issue 98 until the end of the run, which was 466, I believe. Um, and then, yeah, and then here and there a spattering of stuff uh, down. So, 
Well, I wanted to get the Alice Cooper issue. Then my next superfluous purchase is going to be all of the Jack Chick large size comic books. Yeah, that's you can get cool. them in a lot for like forty nine ninety nine. So how many were there? Uh, I think there's sixteen. And like what titles? What was it? Well, because there were the one offs of Spellbound. Well, I remember Spellbound because that's the one about music. Uh, the Hitchhiker, something like that. Oh, uh, Primal God. But then it goes on to a story about the Crusaders who uh, smuggled Bibles into Russia or something like that. Compelling. Oh, it's, it's you know. No, it's again, great. I just wanted a few, but then if I get a few, I want to have the whole set. Yeah, that's how, that's how collecting works. I don't mean that as a snark. Oh, mean, no, I, but saying, I mean, yeah. that's just a thing of mine. It's like, oh, if this guy wrote four books, I can't just buy three of them because I, there's that other one hanging out there. That's why I always was happy about the G.I. Joe run, the Larry <laughs> Hama, Hama G.I. Joe run, because there weren't many issues. I think it was 150. Right. Or somewhere, it was like 150, 155. So that was easily attainable to be able to get those. And, I mean, you look at something like X-Men or avengers or whatever and there's so many right and just to right. kind of keep that and it'd be too easy just to chintz out and go for the west coast avengers yeah so i like to save money on this but then you also mentioned that i never paid to re- learn how to wrestle right yeah i was i was uh very lucky because let's see i had always where i grew up there was no independent wrestling so i had never fallen into this world until i started to go to smaller shows and i got invited out Started talking at one small show that had 15 people in the crowd. Started talking to the promoter slash owner. Like, oh, I understand you train wrestlers. Oh, yeah, yeah, we train them for $800. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not interested. <laughs> talking with him a little more. Then he all of a sudden he mentions it's $600, which makes me wonder, oh, okay, how far down can I get it? Then it got down to $400. Then it was $400 with a $100 deposit. And finally it was, why don't you just come out tomorrow and check out our facility? Like, okay. And you're thinking power plant facility, well, right? At that point, uh, I honestly wanted to see what a wrestling ring looked like underneath. Yeah. I wanted to see how one was built because I had been reading the sheets for about a year and I got, you know, like I sent away for, you know, $8 plans to build a wrestling ring, but I didn't really understand what they were saying. Right. You know, blah, 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 blah. So drove out to this guy's, found out later it was his house off the highway, this big Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. Yes. The ring is still packed up on the back of the truck, so I helped him set up the ring, and another area wrestler was out there. And I was like, ooh, this is, there's this guy. I know who this is. I was so happy. Um, and he kind of looked at me and said, do you want to learn how to wrestle? I'm like, well, I want to do what I can. Right away, he says, there's no money in it. I'm like, that's fine. You know, I kind of knew the score from you know the research i had done and it was strange because i just went through a series of drills which was like forward roll backward roll this is how you hit the rope suddenly he grabs me in a headlock and pulls me into the corner and just says hey did you give these people any money like no i didn't good don't they're inbreds i'll train you for free if you make the trips with me like okay so i was kind of like wondering what the jig was there but and just so the audience knows those are the same inbreds that I trained with yes, for a little bit absolutely. back in 96. Uh, yes, this was a notable lower level promotion in the Milwaukee area, which I started. And that promoter still claims I owe him $800 for training. Oh, yeah, no, I'm sure if, yeah. Yeah, I'll get right on that. 
So, like, my training was basically drive from Janesville, Milwaukee, pick up my trainer, drive to wherever the show was that night, bump around for an hour or two, you know, help set up the ring, set up the chairs, bump around for an hour or two with him plus anybody else I could get in the ring with, and then work security and tear it all down and drive home. And did that for about, well, I, I had shows right away, like three months in, but I wasn't really ready till like a year after. Sure. And then luckily my second time going out there, somebody put these old dot matrix, this printout of yes. the, the theory sheets, which kind of became shorthand for me. It's like, oh, all I have to do is this and everything else will fall into place. So when I first started having my matches for Mid-American, all I could do was halfway bump and do a fist drop, but okay. I could get a match out of it. So do you, you think uh, we had um, to the listeners at home and on the road across this great country and in the sky and in the sky at this point, we um, this weekend, uh, Derek and myself had a chance to work together on a show and yesterday, as a matter of fact. So um, we were talking about some of this or no, yesterday on uh, Sunday, sorry, two days ago. And we were talking You're about. Drunk. No, we were talking about that sheet yes, with yeah, the, the, the dot sheets. matrix, the theory sheet. And I remember getting that as well. We had kind of mentioned that. Do you th- Somebody has to have that out there. I might have a mine hiding somewhere, but I haven't seen it in 15 years. Yeah. But it was strange because it was printed out. Well, I mean, it was, it was Xerox, but it was the old dot matrix. Like the letters were very pointy. But I remember on like the second or third page, it made reference to an M- MWA, like a Midwest Wrestling Alliance. Okay. So I believe they came through Tom Stone's school, but I'm not sure where, you know, where in where in the spectrum that would have fallen. Right. That's a um, and because you were there when I was telling the story about the yes. circling and that. So, but the, I mean, yes, because that was, I mean, it was the time, uh, young Kyle. That so. Uh, this Brett, been 96 this me. is from 96. So Brett you know, so and I... were just born? Yes. Kyle was fresh out of the womb. Six years old. Kyle was six years old in 96. And uh, so Brett and I hook up with this kind of hayseed group. And they... Eh, I don't like being called hayseeds. <laughs> I'm going to tell my wife, and she's going to come down on you. Yes. And uh, they get us... Grandma. In, so we had... Grandma. We had... Yeah. Because grandma lived with them. It was truly like Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah. It was the hospital bed and the living room and everything. That's that's the house I was at when and I found out that. the uh, like urine. Yes, it was nasty. It was like a hoarder's episode in the house. Yeah. But then they had their ring outside, and it was right by the expressway. So, the house uh, is still there. It got yeah. condemned, but it recently got redone. So, And I, whenever I drive my kids to get fireworks, I always go, that was the house. Outside there is where we trained. Yes, I always tell that story, and my lovely girlfriend rolls her eyes. Uh, yes, yes, and I think I my know, kids, the same know. thing. Um, so imagine this, if you will. It's 1996, and the whole kind of pulling the curtain back hasn't fully... <laughs> Lollapalooza was still around. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was very, very popular the time. The Fair had just come through. And um, Spin Doctors, number one on the charts. It was a fantastic time. And so they bring me no, and Brett in the ring. too late for Spin Doctors. I thought they were 93. I don't... I don't care. Anyhow, okay. um, so they uh, they pulled Brett and I in the ring, and we've never done anything. And they're going to teach us to lock up and the very first thing. Will. And he says, okay, so you f- chase him around the ring, or you follow him around the ring. We're going to learn to lock up. And we're, Brett and I are like, okay. And then he goes, you, you be the bad guy, and you be the good guy. And Brett, of course, not paying attention. 
Hi, Brett. Uh, Brett goes, what do you say? And I go, you're the face. I'm the heel. And the guy goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And he comes in the ring and goes, like, where did you hear that? I'm like, I, uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Isn't that, what you, yeah. isn't that what you call? Like, it's baby face and heel, right? I don't want to be disrespectful. And he's like, no, 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 no. You've never done anything in wrestling before? I'm like, no. Well, who told you those words? And then I know what I, I excuse me. Yes. It was exposed in Joe Jair's whatever happened to Gorgeous George in 1973. Well, like, that's great. the first thing I said. But you know what I ended up telling him? I totally I threw uh, Rob Feinstein under the bus because I'm like, I get those RF video catalogs and they're talking about Tommy Dreamer's a great baby face, and I yep. just kind of put it together. Or it'll say like two Cole Scorpios doing great heel work right now, and like when it's describing some disc. So then I'm like, yeah. So I learned it from like I learned it from them. Don't yell at me, you know. But he was from watching you. Right. So he was very shocked. He was like, this is blowing his mind that that happened. So what a mind. Yes. And uh, so then um, we learned how to lock up, and then three weeks later we had our first match. So that was yeah, and it wasn't good. Uh, what and so? Do you have it on tape? Somewhere, I do have it somewhere. I, ha- I have my first match on tape, and it's horrible. Uh, I wanted us to. Uh, I I pitched the idea because we were supposed to be rowdy, like we were supposed to be like this like punk rock team. That I said, how about instead of us coming from the dressing room, we came in through the front door, like where the fans come in, like we just show up. Uh-huh. Hey, we're here to rock and roll and fight. And he's like, nobody will understand that. Just come out this is the way you're supposed to come out. And I was like, okay. And uh, Trevor Blanchard was backstage. Hey, buddy. And he just goes, um, How, you been doing this long? And we're like, no. Like, this is our first match. He's like, best you just listen to what he says. I'm like, oh, okay. So, yeah. And that was it. So, two questions. Uh, question. Two questions. Yeah, so two questions. First questions for Jay. Uh, the uh, theme of this show is viewer questions, by oh, the way. Great. So, this all works in. So we're going to start this with Kyle A. from Milwaukee. Kyle, what do you got for us? Well, for Jay, I've got to ask, did you, uh, unlike Derek, have to pay? I think I gave him like $200 over the course of about four or five months and then was just like, go fuck yourself. And then that was, and then they did, and then they had a 16-year-old girl give me an unprotected chair shot at the rave um that was supposed to be for brett which even that's why it pisses me off even more because brett was supposed to take it but i just was wanted to get out of there i was like this is the worst this is horrible so i'm like and so yeah it was bad so anyhow so i let the girl hit me so, yes. and i was like we're done and then with brett and i just walked out after that do you still owe him money <laughs> yes i do still owe him money yes and then i guess i had a question for derek too yes who is the person that uh first trained you then uh, it was a local wrestler named Colonel Blatnick. That he was he was the one that bumped me around, but a good deal of my training came from tape study and asking questions to the right people. Like once I had the theory sheets, I knew any match I was watching is like, okay, how do I break this down? What part of the match are they in? How are they going out? Also, a good deal of my training came from at the time I went out every weekend and watched live music at the bar in Janesville. And it was from watching the bands, like how did they how did they get the energy up in the crowd? How did they keep it going? If they lost them, how did they get it back in? So it was just very 
you know, there's only one show business, but how do you, you know, how did, how did they work the crowd? So I kind of knew this, that, and the other thing, you know, it was just a matter of putting it all together, but I was blessed in that people. You had a great head of hair. Yeah, I did. I had a great mullet, but for some reason, people always thought I knew what I was doing, like from day one. So it was kind of a bluff that I rode and. I don't know. Andy and I saw you. We weren't sold. (laughs) Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, but speaking of giving money to this uh, this wonderful this wonderful trainer that did this, I did get my first pair of boots from him. Oh yeah, because he had a show coming up. Well, it was on the Fourth of July, and I said, "Oh, I got to get a pair of boots." And he said he had a show coming up on the Fourth of July, and then he had two more shows coming. So he's like, "Well, I've got a pair of boots that I'll sell you for." I think he was going to say one hundred and fifty dollars. So next time I went out there and showed them to me, so I knew he had them. Next time I had fifty dollars, and I said, "Here, let me get these shoot these boots for the July Fourth show, and then we'll work out payment." Because I was thinking if he's going to book me on these other two shows, maybe I can finagle my paydays in there. So I gave him fifty dollars for the, the red boots, and then uh, after that, like the other shows got canceled or something. Or well, why don't we just call it even on the payday for this other show? And I'm like, "That's a great idea." Nice. So, got my first pair of boots for fifty bucks. What type of boots? Uh, they were the red boots. The red that the, my friend the Russian uses. Nice. See, so that's wow. The yeah. lineage is there. Yeah, which were formerly owned by the Illinois State Trooper, I believe. How awesome is that? Andy's yes. hands shoot up in the air. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, we have a special guest in the studio today with us that he's going to help us out with one of the questions. You on just want to jump into that one. You know what? Let's save that for a little bit. Oh. Okay. okay, we'll save that. We'll come because we'll, we'll, like at the end, we'll shine around at the end of this thing. And uh, uh, but Andy, feel free again if you have something you want to say. Feel free. I'm sorry, to jump who in. is Andy? Uh, Andy and I are the co-owners of does he Mondo have a, does Lucha. Does he have a last name? Do you want your last name out in the air? He does not care. Andy Gorzalski. Okay. And uh, so Andy and I have been doing Mondo Lucha since well, ten years now. And um, yeah, there was a great question asking about Never our show. Heard Never heard of him. Uh, great question asking about the show at the library, which we'll get to at the end. We'll, we'll okay. cover that at the end. So just, I mean, Make there's a lot stew. of other stuff here. Make him stew. No, no, no. This is, like I say, Andy can jump in. He's def- No, he's pointing at his, his invisible his watch. Junk. <laughs> he's saying, let's move it on. But Jump on this. Let's start out. Uh, we asked the audience for some questions, right? Thanks, audience. Thank you, Love audience. hearing from you, by the way. Uh, totally love hearing from you guys. And by the way, we are on Stitcher and Google Play. And iTunes, I think it's, it's great. What? Andy's giving it, Andy. Tell us what Stitcher is. Here. Uh, yes, hello, everybody. The short uh, I have to say, it's great hanging out here. I'm really glad to just He's be hanging out with the guys tonight. So hello wearing, to everybody. It's not wearing pants. Yes. Uh, Stitcher is a podcast app that's like a premium platform, subscription based. They have a lot of exclusives. Uh, I added it earlier this, earlier this year, and it's uh, pretty great. I like it a lot. How did you get out of that? Kyle, by the way, Kyle's asking a lot of goddamn questions tonight. Um, our good friend Derek Carey, uh, one of the guys operating all the gimmicks, used to operate Astro Radio Z, um, has just been kind enough to help us out and getting us on these different platforms. So big shout out to them. And they've got a ton of great, if you're into film and like kind of exploitation stuff, not just Star Wars, Kyle. We're talking like some down and dirty stuff. Uh, you can get on there and check out Film Jerks and a couple of their other podcasts that they do. I think you'd really like it. 
Yes, Derek. Recently, based on a Facebook post, discovered the movie Combat Shock. Yeah. Oh, my God. Just looking at the trailer disturbed me. Did you see the whole thing? No. Yeah, it's pretty out there. It's, yeah. It's rough. The, yeah, I read, I, it's another thing. I read the Wikipedia summary. And I'm like, this is disturbing. Combat Shock. The last. Combat two- Shock. Look up the trailer on YouTube. Yeah, Troma put it out. Uh, the last 10 minutes are just depressing yes. and, and, and horrific. So, yes. um, I mean, it's no. Serbian film, but what is? So, all right, Derek, let's pop into these questions here. Yes, now that we're ready. For now that it. we're ready, now that we've gone through all that, and we've mentioned so many people and really dropped some great names today. So one of the questions came in from uh, someone you've always spoke highly of, uh, Jay Doherty, right? Yeah, yeah, good guy from Kenosha. From, from Kenosha, excellent. Uh, he says, in the 70s, he heard that the Sheik ran some shows in Madison. Do you know this to be true? And if so, do you know... Anything about them? Uh, no, I, I was going to look this up, but I didn't. I'm sorry. All right. The but, next question. No, hold on. Hold on. But the main promoter that was in Madison uh, in the 60s, like before Ganya took it over. Yes. Because Ganya never really ran Madison, was a guy named Jimmy Demetral. Okay. And I believe there's still a Demetral field in, um, in Madison somewhere. It's like a softball field. But he was a Greek, so I'm not surprised that... Oh, what was the Greek connection? Oh, the Greek connection was Gullis. But I know he was a wrestler back in the day, so the Sheik probably worked through him. So I could see the Sheik being on a show, but I don't know that he actually ran there. Um, they wouldn't have run... Well, Dane County Coliseum wouldn't have been there, but I believe there was an Eagles club in Madison that had wrestling a lot. Okay. Because there are results of the Crusher being there at the Eagles club back in the 50s, so I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to come back with that in the early 70s. But once Ganya took over, I could see him having a, a harsher grip on that. But again, he never really ran Madison. And to this day, groups have a tough time running in Madison. I was going to say, Madison is a hard sell, I, I feel. I hate to say it, but I think Madison might be too smart for wrestling yeah. or too intelligent. I don't know if it's the... Let's go university man. or whatever. Oh, go ahead. Give it a shot. Yeah. Because when I was a kid, just my local dream was I couldn't main event Madison Square Garden, but I wanted to main event the Dane County Coliseum. A garden in Madison, <laughs> right? Sure. Well, that's good. I don't know. A square garden in Madison? Uh, the closest I've been is Middleton, I believe. There was a Keva athletic field there that was an indoor soccer field that had wrestling a couple of times. But again, drew 40 people. Madison's always been a weird town. As yeah. someone too who's been in bands, it's always been kind of hit or miss as far as like what's available there, like where you can play, and I don't know the weird restrictions, and there's all kinds of stuff. I don't know. Madison's just never been a real yeah uh, performer friendly town. It's if not that a big sense. college town like Boston. Nah, I mean it's just not. Yeah, um, th- to the point where I remember seeing bands at like a roller skating rink in Madison because they're like actually out on the floor of a roller skating rink. Oh sure. Um, just because they couldn't get. Um, the right place or the right venues for it. And I know AWA did, they always did like Whitewater too, didn't they? AWA would do Milwaukee and then they'd do Whitewater, which is always strange. Like there was like a Green Bay, Milwaukee, Whitewater. And I don't know if that was the college town or if that was just... Well, are you talking later on or back in the day? Uh, all around. Because when I was looking it up, it seemed like they, you know, at least once a year, it seemed like they were getting into Whitewater. Because back in the day, they had a weird... Like it was Whitewater, Monroe, Wisconsin, and I know that they went to Milton, Wisconsin. 
Okay. Because uh, Andre the Giant was in Milton, and that just always blew my mind that he, he's in Milton. That couldn't make Janesville, but like Vern would always hook up with the high schools there because you know wrestling was still semi legit. Okay. Very good. So sorry, can't answer about Madison, but I will look it up. But we and, gave you a bunch of other information yeah. that you probably didn't know, so you should be happy with that answer you got. And now he's just, his, I knew all that crap. Right. He turns off his Stitcher and walks away. Listen, uh, keep listening to your Stitcher, and um, and stick around because here's another great question coming your way. Uh, right now. Right now. So uh, this right is, now. This is a guy right now named Brad Drake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, okay, no, no one else knows. I mean, no, the, the, I don't know if people know him. Yeah, he asked us about Dory Funk earlier, and you poo-pooed him. I didn't poo-poo. That's you. You're the one that never wants to answer the Dory Funk questions. Yeah, yeah, and you threw me under the boat to uh, to Ego, too, saying, oh, he's the difficult one that doesn't want to do these things. Yeah. Hmm. Kyle? Yeah. Yeah, Kyle says yes. Oh, yeah, okay. There it is. Brad Drake uh, asks, uh, Derek, love the show. Didn't really say that, but I'm just putting it there. Thank you. Uh, hey, Derek, I love the show. Had Vern Gagne stepped aside in 1983 and let Greg take over the booking, could the AWA have survived or at least delayed the inevitable? Maybe delayed, but no. They they were going under because they didn't change the way they did business. Now, I don't know if Greg would have adopted the... No. Somebody was going to go national. They were going to bulldoze over everything. If it wasn't... If it wasn't Vince, it would have been Crockett. It would have been something. Did but, Vince kind of throw him a bone by hiring Ganya for stuff like what? What? No, I'm, I'm asking because he had hired him. I didn't know. I always went. No one ever does. Do people ever claim? Oh, is Greg Ganya a good mind? Like, does he come? Was he coming? Was he booking? Are good you talking stuff? about when he booked him and put him in Deep South after he bought out the library? No, because uh, didn't he have him? Well, he had him working in um, Ohio Valley for a while, didn't he? Yeah, like that was all just, hey, we bought your library. I'll give you a job for a and while. And that's what that was. Yeah. Okay. That's now, what... like Greg worked Madison Square Garden. Greg and Vern both worked that. But that's just, you know, but work, like worked at match wise, but weren't working yeah. like behind the scenes. No, not at all. Not at all. They the, were paid talent. Yeah. I think um, just from reading, going through and looking some old magazines, and in fact, today's mailbag what you're going to hear uh brad drake you're going to hear some stuff where you realize the just right, you brad just you brad you'll pick it up and we'll give a little nod to you when you hear the mailbag today but um you'll kind of the writings on the wall even from some of the things that are said in this uh today's episode of mailbag yes because all of the after mag mail was real i'm not saying it was real or not i'm just saying that you know I, it's a different take that i would have never i thought it was very yeah. Um, yeah, they're kind of calling out AWA in that quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, but I tend to think Greg was brought up in that old school of of booking and how to do everything. Uh, I think maybe it would have freshened up the the roster, maybe held on to some people a little bit longer. But no, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have changed much. The um, I just yeah, I guess I feel like he was way still too much under his dad's shadow and would have saw things or exactly had to do things the same way that his dad exactly. did stuff. Because even when he was doing things like the uh, the was it the Ganya Raiders where he wore the camouflage, yeah, and stuff. It just it nothing ever felt pure or it didn't nothing ever felt like it clicked. I guess and well, like I think that's a bad example. Things. I mean that's just no, but I just I just he was very. Kind of there. I don't know. Yeah, but, I mean, he came with the rent. I still look back at one of my favorite things that we ever discussed, 
was the Ron Garvin Greg Gagne match from Super Clash where they I, booed him out of the building. I'm sorry, I think Greg Gagne was a decent worker. Do you? Yeah. Believability though in like being able to take on guys like Brody and that, you're like, sure. yeah, that, that works. At, I mean, look at his matches. His matches in a vacuum look okay, but in that time frame of wrestling where the public perception of wrestling was changing to the muscled up steroid guys. Sure. Sure, he didn't fit in there, but if you look at technically at what he's doing, when he does it, how he does his comebacks, yeah, he's a good worker. And it works out. Like the psychology-wise, you think it works. Yes. Which ties into another question from someone. We got a, a, a question from JG from Milwaukee has a question. How do you feel about... <laughs> oh, jeez. No, this is a serious thing. How do you feel about mixed gender matches? Yeah, wrestling evolves. D- yeah? Yeah. It- not not personally my cup of tea. I think... Are you talking about intergender match where a man wrestles a woman? Yes. I think there's a way... I feel there's a way they can be done. I don't know necessarily if 50-50 is the best way to always approach it. It's got to be kind of one or the other, right? Don't you agree? Like in the I, sense I don't know what of you like, mean by one okay, or the other. Well, no. Well, I guess it's my point. <laughs> so would you... So the... like. Because clearly, well, I would assume most of the time it would be the guy would be the one getting the heat would have to be the heel in the match, right? Yes. I mean, just for it to to work. Yeah. I mean, 90% of the time, yes. Obviously, there's ways that the woman could be the heel a la powder to the eyes. Right. You know, whatever, right. you know, something. But so if you're looking at a match like that, it should just be heat, 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 comeback, finish, right? Yeah. Like there shouldn't be the standing forearm exchange in the middle of the ring. Right. I, I don't agree with that. Right. It just doesn't. Oh, well, uh, you know, again, if you have the right woman in there, you know, an Amazon person, then maybe, but still. It needs to, yeah. Yeah. I just think. You need to have the right players. Sure. And that was kind of my thought, and I didn't know. Could you oh, have. Oh, really? Are you JG from Milwaukee? No. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's someone else. Oh, no, it says wearing a hood. It's another handsome guy uh, from this town. Right, just right. similar names. They, um,. And then, do you think it would be a boring match if the the if the girl or the woman uh, was just? I mean, I guess never mind. I guess I'm answering my own questions because I'm thinking about it, and it's like I'll just put the mic down. Yes, uh, just thinking about the fact of if you have a girl that's then beating the heel, like give, like whipping him or what? You know what I mean? Just like the scared heel running around the ring, running from her, and then you could do that, and then have. The heel do something dastardly and then get the upper hand, right? But it can't you know, be. It, but it, it's not a fifty-fifty. I'm just saying, if you want help booking Mondo, we're gonna have to have a monetary discussion. <sighs> so we bought you pizza today. So, I mean, I think that that's good. So, do you know uh, Robert Schwent Jr.? Uh, yeah, he's from Central Illinois. He had, um, he actually offered. He had a lot of stuff to write down here. And one of the things he's saying is that we are told that belts are only a prop, but they seem to have some sort of consequence on draw and even how a wrestler is viewed within the industry. How important do you really think the titles are or having titles? Or is it just a prop, something everyone should be gunning to get uh, for even uh, overperformance? And should they be looking for belts over uh, like performance and money or something in between? Or how? What, do you th- what are your thoughts on belts as someone who normally doesn't have any? Uh- what do you mean? <laughs> that was a that was a joke, brother. I think I'm still tag champ somewhere. Right you are, now. yes. PGPW, I believe. I, that was um, just playing games. 
but I mean, that shows you how I look at them. In my mind, they're props. The belts have been devalued. Now, traditionally, the person holding the belt was the focal point of Well, let me take a step back. The belt was traditionally the MacGuffin that everybody was trying to get. It right. was the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. Just everybody wanted the belt. So that's the reason everybody was there. The person that held the belt was ostensibly the highest paid, da-da-da-da-da, and the best draw. Okay, sure. So that's good. Now, depending on where you were, obviously in the WWWF, you know, back in the day, they were a babyface champion territory. So the the money was always in heels trying to knock off the babyface for the belt. Okay. So in that case, the babyface was the best paid person. The way that the alliance was set up, they wanted to control the belt, so the the champion was decreed they had to get 10%. Now, that champion needed to be able to go in between territories and needed to be able to work with different people. So in that case, the person with the belt was one, uh, the best worker that was able to work a multiplicity of styles, you know, night sure, after yeah. night. But also, up until Flair's day, had to be a shooter in order to protect the belt. Right. Because at the time, the way the belt was portrayed, it still had oomph amongst amongst the public. Okay, right. You know, that the NWA champion was the best wrestler in the world. So there were there several noted instances of people trying to steal the belt because then they could control the champion and then they could it's just funny to look at in retrospect is like, okay, you beat this person, you know, now you think you can go out and book that champion everywhere. It, you know, it, yeah, it, it was, it was just very strange. Sure. Um, uh, who was it? Al Perez thought that if he shot on flair and took the belt in Florida, that they'd have to book him as the champion. Instead, they just told him to pack his bags and go, go home. <laughs> right, yeah. right. So, like, I have the belt now. Strange. It's mine. But in modern days, no, the belt has been devalued. Instead of having to earn your shot and get on it, it's now turned into something everybody has a turn with. Sure. And that's that's pretty sad. Do you? Uh, is there an era or is there a point? I guess I look at um, Crockett uh, times. Again, going back to things like The Gathering or Starcade, you look at how many belts were on those shows where it just almost came, became like a, what the hell are we doing here? Like, exactly. this is like, it's so much. It's like, at some point, who doesn't have a belt? Right. And I recall I was on a show, I believe it was a Windy City show one time, where every match was had a belt on the line. Right. And what it, that that doesn't do anything. The allure of belts also back in the day was... One, there weren't as many. Okay. And two, the reigns lasted a lot longer. Like where you and I grew up in the AWA where people were champion for years. Right. So right. when that belt changed hands, suddenly it's like, wow, something like happened. It was here. something. Yeah. And so and let me see if I can put this into words. If you have so you have Ric Flair, and we all know the history of Ric Flair. <laughs> and we know how they oh, Ric Flair was in these towns and you had like said he had to work all these different styles. Right. So at that point, when it was like the Harley race, Ric Flair, that kind of stuff, the the uh, NWA champions, the Terry Funks, at that point, was the belt itself drawing or was the actual champion drawing? Uh, I'll go ahead and say it was the belt. Because it would be like the champion is coming to town right. to take on our local... Yes. 
and our local person has that shot. And then that match had to be constructed to where the local person had to be kept strong, but the champion had to leave with the belt. Right. Uh, under the Muchnick reign, you could you could go back and forth, but at the end, the champion always won. Sure. Once he stepped down, suddenly there were a lot more draws and this, that, and the other thing. So the champion comes in, the belt is what draws, but then the champion taking on the hometown guy. Uh, the hometown guy taking on the champion. Or t- the hometown guy taking on the champion gets the rub because he goes toe-to-toe with the champion for X amount of minutes and makes him look strong. So it's kind of a win-win yes. situation yeah. on that. Yeah, so like the champion coming in and wrestling your guy was designed to elevate your local person, but the sure. belt still belonged with the, the Fed or the association. What do you like better? Do you like uh, babyface chasing a heel champion or uh, babyface champion taking on all comers? Uh, babyface chasing. Oh, yeah. It's like the quest. Yes. It's, it's a classic storytelling. Yes, it's classic storytelling. And, for example, when Ricky Steamboat finally won the Intercontinental belt, like I feel that he lost a bit of luster because it was like, oh, he's got it. Okay. Right. You know, because so long that story was him chasing. Now they, you know, maybe if they would have had heels ready to go, but then that would have occupied his time. They couldn't develop a, a heel against Ricky Steamboat while he was chasing the belt sure sure you know okay they could do anything but they didn't so right do you think that um so uh well robert schwent jr asks a question kind of in the same vein too okay when we're talking about belts and rick flair and he says that uh says maybe it's an opinion but he's throwing it out there see and he says how much of rick flair's greatness is due to his actual ability in the ring draw and accomplishments in the sport if he had the same ability would he still be as revered and everyone loving him if he had only won the belt once do you think that his the lineage of him and the history of him with the championship is is that what m- kind of gives him the the rub of the greatness? I mean, he's a great worker, but is it the longevity and yeah, and his career is that what it is? If he was given like a, look at a Tommy Rich, I mean, I guess that's a bad example because that's only like ten days that he had the belt. Yeah, Rich right? couldn't really go either way like that. I mean, granted, he he can wrestle face and heel, but Flair was able to deliver. Well, one, the number of reigns doesn't really matter. Sure. Because even like Harley's last reign was totally engineered just to give Flair the win at Starcade. Right. So he was still, you know, looked at as a champion. But no, I feel it was his work rate and his ability to ha- his ability to have great matches, his ability to have believable interviews. That that's right. what made him. I mean, it's that, everything. That's what it's made a package. Yeah. yeah, it's great. It's yeah. He didn't need. He wouldn't have needed to be there. I don't ever know how many time champion. That's right. not the important thing on it. Correct. It's just that he was able to work but it out. But being that champion and going on those tours are what brought him into different areas. Now, before sure. before uh, Crockett was on cable and you only saw Flair once or twice when he did the tour through the area, it was amazing because you didn't see this match of the ups and downs and the the backdrops and the slam off the top and the begging off. You didn't see that. Right. But then once Crockett came in and it was on TBS every weekend, it's like, okay, here it comes. Here right. it comes. You can yeah. see everything kind of working. Yeah, so he became a routine man, and I understand Harley also had a routine. I've never watched him enough to break it down, but he had like a, a pat match that he would do with somebody that he knew he could get through and nobody would get hurt. Cigars and Conversations presents 
mailbag. Dramatic readings of fan letters culled from the pages of classic wrestling magazines. This time, we'll be looking at the unofficial official awards for 1986 per the Pro Wrestling Illustrated March 1987 issue where the fans got to write in and give their awards for the year. Last year, we instituted the concept of the unofficial official awards for the year and its unusual and outrageous award categories that you came up with were fantastic, and you were the ones that chose the winners, so these awards quickly became one of the most popular features of our year-end issue. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some of the awards that the fans wrote in for this issue. We'll start with an easy one here, and a real man does wear skirts award goes to Roddy Piper for that year. The All Dressed Up With No Place To Go Award goes to Georgianne Will Steal and his involvement in tuxedo matches. Feel free, anyone that wants to chime in, Derek or Kyle or Andy on this one. Um, announcer most likely to shake out of his clothes while giving an interview to Rule Breakers, AWA's Larry Nelson. Derek laughed at that. Um, anorexic tag team of the year. <laughs> Kyle's busted up on that one. That award goes to Sam Houston and Kendall Windham. <laughs> Ed Bailey from Spokane, Washington gave the best attitude award to Tully Blanchard. Best finishing maneuver from Christiana and Terry Bennett, Poinette, Wisconsin. Said that should go to the Von Erich Iron Claw. Derek, if I were to ask you who uh, Ernest Matchin from Minneapolis, Minnesota said was the bet- best foot to the face, who do you think that would be? I'd want to say Brody, but I bet she's going to say Hogan. Bruiser Brody. Oh, all right. Pretty good. Best Mystery Book Award. Now, we all said, uh, what does that mean? Brother Ernest Angel. No, the AWA rule book. jeez. Oh, <laughs> Some of these are kind of tongue-in-cheek. You can have this back. All right. <laughs> Best newly formed tag team, the Kansas Jayhawks, Dutch Mantel and Bobby Jaggers. Which were actually pretty good. Thank you, Jeff Murphy well, from Cumberland Furnace, Tennessee. Fine. Best reason for watching wrestling, 1986. What do you guys think? Uh, High-flying action. Uh, Missy Hyatt. Closer. Baby doll? Closer. Nicola Roberts? Closer. No, not Dark Journey. (laughs) Elizabeth. Oh, come on. Uh, Never mind. Yes. (laughs) Best spokesman for Vic Tanny Award. Kyle just asked, "Who's Vic Tanny?" <laughs> Vic Tanny is uh, old, like um, a gym, like workout. This place. seems like it could go Paul Roma or Terry Taylor, or maybe Luger. Well, Robert Krug of Belt, Illinois, says it was the Dingo Warrior. Whoa! Oh, okay. Um, all right, biggest chest award, Derek. Missy Hyatt. It was a tie between Missy Hyatt and one other person. Dino Bravo. 
Want to take another guess? Abdullah the Butcher. <laughs> oh, I was going to say I've used both my guesses on Missy High. That's all right. So that was a good one. Biggest waste of time in wrestling award. This segment. No. Oh. Then I, I'm a, everything else ties for a second. Well, it would be ESPN's televising of the AWA. Oh, Derek, not happy about that. Now this one. If anyone knows John Nutter from Meadville, Pennsylvania, uh, he didn't give an award. He just simply labeled something as buckwheat and then named a wrestler. Who do you think this would be? Uh, I'm not touching this one. You can have it, Andy. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, this is pretty loaded. So, I mean. From Nutter. <laughs> yeah, yes. Jo- hmm. John Nutter. This one's kind of racist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is uh this this is a b- But bad that's what makes nomination. it good 1986 reading. It literally like everyone other category says like Skull Murphy. It says all these other things says then it just says buckwheat slick. Skull Murphy. Okay. Well. Uh Slick was allegedly Rufus R Jones uh kid. Okay. But may have been adopted. All right. And this guy said he was buckwheat. Cabbage Patch Doll Lookalike Award. Again, 1986, guys. Mine. Who? That thing that George Animal Steel Oh, mine, around. yes. No, it's an actual person. It's a valet. Brenda Britton? Baby Doll. Hmm. Valerie Bielski of Grain, Minnesota, or Michigan, doesn't, must not like her. Uh, uh, Captain Kangaroo Lookalike of the Year Award. Percy Pringle. Yes, Percy Pringle. The third. Copycats of the year. Uh, the Rockers from the Midnight Rockers? Midnight Rockers. Uh, Midnight Rockers from Very Rock good. Express. Cutest Dimples. You. Well, thank you. But Melissa Walker from Oklahoma thinks Chris Adams. Dignity in the Face of Defeat Award. Jimmy Valiant for getting his head shaved after losing to Paul Jones in a Loser Shaves Their Head match. Right? I'm just disappointed you just called him Jimmy Valiant. That's what it says. I don't care. I'm just reading what it says. All right. You're going to cut this one up a lot. <laughs> no, you? no, no. This is good. This is good. This, okay. is the, this is the ramblings. This is the craziness of this. Best forehead that resembles a topographical map award. Oh, that's uh, I believe that's a three-way tie between Bruiser, Brody, Abdullah, and maybe Dusty. Uh, it just goes to Abdullah the Butcher, according to Doug Hummel of Benwood, West Virginia. Uh, what about the Genuine Humanitarianism Award? Abdullah the Butcher. Abdullah the Butcher? I, I give up. The Fabulous Ones for their anti-drug campaign throughout Florida. Yes. <laughs> did not, it did not work well. On hindsight, not that great. Um. How about the uh, Give Us a Break Award? Uh, Gorilla Monsoon. Yes. Kyle can't believe that one. He's like, how does Derek get that, right? Glad to see Less of You Award. Pass. <laughs> Tito Santana. Tito was a solid Hey, take that up with Jim Gibson from Comac, New York. Greatest Maneuver of the Decade Award. No idea. <laughs> Terry Gordy's Bam Bam Slam. 
According to Ted Dalton, UConn. I don't Oklahoma. even remember what that was. Was that even a thing? I, I thought he had the Asiatic spike. I that's what I thought too. So, um, oh, uh, all right. I don't know because he had that pile driver like where they were supposed to backdrop the guy in for the pile driver that never worked or uh, power bomb. So, just a couple more here, and then we're gonna end this segment. Thank you. You're welcome. There's another one in the next episode too. Oh, great. There were a hundred of these, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Holy shit is right, Kyle. So what are we at? Seventy some now, or he's got more roles than a bakery award. I think they said King Kong Bundy. King Kong one. Bundy. But yes. No, he didn't really have roles. He was. I know solid. he was. He was just a solid guy. Hairiest and best looking chest in the world. Kyle Arpke. No. No. What do you think? And Dutch every... Mantel. <laughs> that just hairy all over. I yeah. think. Robert Gibson. Sure. Okay. How about the How Stupid Do You Think We Are trophy? Who do you think that went to? No, I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> not going to touch it. The WWF for thinking we'd believe that the giant machine is not Andre the Giant. It's Giant Baba. How stupid do you think we are? Yes. Yeah, he had a mask on. What about the If I Wanted to See This Crap, I'd Watch Wild Kingdom Award? WWF again. Uh, but who specifically? Well, I don't know because they had so many animals. Well, that's that the fun of this game, dude. Oh, this is a game. Um, two of them. Pick two. Jose Luis Rivera. What did he bring to the ring? And Johnny Rods. Not no. Jake the Snake Roberts and Rick the Dragon Steamboat. Hey, you t- you- and by the way, he calls him Rick the Dragon, which was pretty great. And we'll end. Well, you know what? We'll do two more, and then we'll end it. The Insult Our Intelligence Some More Please Award. Who do you think that goes to? I don't know. That goes to the WWF for putting Hulk Hogan in a machine outfit and calling him the Hulk machine. Okay. All right. And your last one, the Human Scab Award. I don't know. Ricky Morton. Oh, that's when they did the angle where he got his face rubbed in the yes. floor. Okay. And that concludes Mailbag. So kind of going along the lines of talking about the Crockett's and uh, territories. Another question was, um, for you personally, this is your own opinion. Hi. Hi. Uh, favorite, what is one of your, your favorite territories to watch? What is, is there anything specific that you're just, uh, this is the one? No. No, because they're all very different. You're kind of taking from everything. Yeah. But well, what about, okay, so what, tell me something. You uh, uh, world class championship wrestling, the Von Erichs, all that. Like, what's something from that that you take from that that might be different from another one? Why do you like that one? Uh, well, one, I like watching that to figure out what the sportatorium looked like. Yes. Uh, two, Mister Architecture. Oh, well, I like to see how the rings built. I want to see. Well, I how, do. That, no, I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, it's just little. Again, if we ever do that episode on the color of ring ropes, we're hanging it up. Yes, that'll be episode fifty. Yes, there you yes. go. Um. So in world class, uh, I like the mixture of the older talent with the younger talent. Sure. Uh, you know, obviously when I first went in, ooh, the Von Erics are great and everything, but now it's like, no, how does Frank Dusick get mileage out of a match? How does Al Madrill do that? You know, and mostly Buddy Roberts was a phenomenal worker. Right. So like, how do they get mileage out of matches? So that's what I'd watch in world class. Yeah. Um, 
Florida, I like watching a little bit of that just for the amateur base style because it's, you can all tell they came from the same school. That's very good. Uh, Portland, Portland, I like watching, but not not so much because it tends to get repetitive because they have the same names there all the time. Sure, yeah. But I mean, still, it's how do these masters of their craft get time out of the match? I'm fascinated with Portland when I watch it now, when I see the ridiculousness of the like Bill's Auto Shop and like those guys are there, like the sponsors are there in the. Oh, it was Tom Peterson's or, appliance. Is that it? Is that it? Yep. You want to hear Andy wants to say something? No, oh, it, use his. It's closer. Probably. It's crazy that Portland came up with both of you because like thinking about this question, like I was going to bring up Portland and the things I've watched on YouTube just seem there's like a, a great like homespun sort of right quality to it yeah like the venue or where they taped was much smaller the graphics are really crazy and right and like just the piper stuff i can't recall like who he's with almost in like a stable sense but they had a they literally came out with a wheelbarrow full of belts they had so much gold and i was like this is one of the great this is one of the great like promos and it just i don't know that right it's to me like seeing stuff. portland stuff on youtube and like learning about that later in life after being like an 80s nwa wwf kid and you know kind of having an affinity for things or reading wrestling magazines like not really knowing that that ever happened but as an adult seeing portland on youtube i was it's almost like this hidden gem sort of deep cut Agreed. of like oh here's the crystallization of like the really great like kind of this what this is how wrestling works and this is what wrestling means i agree at least in my, in my no I, I agree with you because i think too when you look at portland i say to myself i remember michael hayes slamming von eric's head in the cage or i remember that stuff in world class i remember tupelo concession brawl i remember the starcades i remember the wwf stuff and I just, and I know it's regional, but I look back at the Portland stuff and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of great stuff. Why did I not hear about that as much as I heard about all the other territories? Because there is so much to see now. Well, because it was so regional, it was so far out on the West Coast. There weren't any tapes, you know, like especially before tape trading. Uh, didn't get in the after mags a lot. Right. Yeah. Because you know, remember, that was all based in New York. That's why you saw everybody there. Um, I believe the other side of that question from what I saw were territories I don't like to yeah, watch. Right. It can be so frustrating to watch WWF television. Sure. It's frustrating to watch a lot of stuff from the Sheik because if it's not from the Sheik, you know, it, it's not good. Uh, and, you know, not, nothing against the guys involved because I know that they all had to get their money and everything. Right. But, you know, it's slow. It's kick and stomp. It's It's just not... Not right. good. I have a hard time getting into old WWF. Right. Yeah. And I really and may and I don't it just It was a very formula territory. Yes. And for you know, thank goodness it was in the population center it was in because that was the real advantage of it. But it was a formula territory. You cycled your guys in. They had one to three matches in Madison Square Garden, and that was it. Right. Yeah, that's um I can't say that there's any, with the exception of that, there's nothing that I actually look at and go, oh, I don't like. I can pick out things, right, but right. Yeah, there's nothing too horrible. I think you can kind of cherry pick the things that are so good out of everything. It makes it all worth watching. Yeah. What I really like to do when I'm watching a territory is have a good two to three weeks of you know television to watch or a sure. three-hour tape that 
goes over a time period so I can see how they tell their stories and how things are developed. Right. You know, that that's what I'm looking at for that. I think um Herb Abrams uh oh, don't you, even. No, I'm don't just even. that was hor- I mean, like that was bad. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. It sure is. That's like that stuff is bad. Like that's unwatchable. Yeah, but that's just him. Hey, it'd be great if we do this. That's a wrestling fan that just like, oh, I want to see this match without knowing why. Exactly. You know, that's like when they said, oh, I want to see the Steiners versus the Road Warriors, but not realizing that okay, you need to have a team that shows some, you know, some vulnerability because that's what pulls you in and tells the right. story and such. Yeah, and I think that was, and maybe I feel snake bit by that one because I remember getting a VHS of it and thinking I got Bill Watts. Oh yeah, UWF, and then I put it in, and I'm just like, son of a bitch. Oh no, Sunny Beach. Yeah, Sunny Sunny Beach. Yeah. Then I was happy because then Steve Williams stiffed him in that match. Broke his nose. Broke his nose. And then I was happy. But, yeah, but that was, I think, like, yeah, so that, of course, things along that nature are, are bad. Um, AWA television is, like, it, it can be boring. Like, they'll spend a lot of time on a match, you know, because, like, a lot of matches were two out of three falls and such like that. And it's funny because their TV shows would be, really just two or three matches and the rest were promos in front of the backdrop right which is fine but they're getting time out of those matches so a lot of times you can see you know if they give the the enhancement talent time to work they can get something out of it sometimes it's just crap but sometimes it's watchable crap sure um speaking of the tv i know i mentioned this to you a couple weeks ago that i started watching the build to Starcade the Gathering yes. on watching all the Saturday night mm-hmm. uh, TBS stuff. That show is amazing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, watching it now, it holds up and is even better than what I remember it. I mean, and it's like you watch and you go, this is exactly why this was great. Like, I, I can remember it be like, this, that everything's so quick, it's so snappy. The amount of times, like they knew who their money was when it came to who could cut great promos, and yeah. they brought them out. Like in mean, Flair coming out two or three times on a show, it was ex- I mean, just really great stuff, and um, the just all of it. The only thing that I the one little part that was the downer was that Dusty did the Hard Times promo in the TBS studio. Uh, he did a version of it. And it was, and it was like it didn't get the reaction that it got when he did the other one, the the one yeah, that everybody in, in knows. The gym, yeah, it was it was basically the same thing, right? But it was kind of weird. And now I also noticed that there seems to be an African American gentleman that's sitting out in the audience, and regardless of who's cutting the promo, he says their name and it agrees with them. So if uh, Tully Blanchard's like, these belts are on our, around our waist for a reason, the guy's like, you tell him, Tully. You got it, Tully. And then also the next person will come out and be like, Sam Houston. He'd be like, I'm just glad to be here. He's like, we're glad to have you, Sam Houston. So there's some guy sitting in the audience right off camera that is just answering right back, and that's making my viewing that much more fun. And he's got something else here. Jay, I don't know. I don't know if we, Jay and I both grew up in the Milwaukee area, and I don't know if it ever made its way to Janesville, but do you remember the small little blip on syndication or how it made it to Milwaukee TV when UWF ran on TV? Oh, yeah. And that at the time, I was already, uh, I had a, this, my dad is just great and a huge fan of pro wrestling, and my brother and I really glommed onto it through him. Um, 
so we're almost like heavier on NWA and Ric Flair and all, all that kind of stuff. And AWA, of course, um, almost more so than the, the kind of mainstream WWF, even though, you know, we were in a savage and right. and everything. But, uh, I, I remember we'd always get in fights with kids at school of just like, no, like that TBS show is like really crazy. And they broke a guy's arm in the parking lot. It's like, <laughs> right, right cooler than coco beware like i remember fighting no with kids knew. about savannah jack oh you guys got to know savannah jack from uwf <laughs> like and they're like who the, yeah, the fuck is that i remember uwf being like and i you know i guess i could go back and watch it now i suppose and like but i just remember it being really crazy and like very raw, bloody very bloody very and violent the yeah storylines just seemed like really kind of like electric or amped up and like i think dibiase was in that yeah dibiase uh, dr Man. death yep yeah. Uh, they had a really kind of weird, you know, to someone that, uh, you know, as a kid, you don't know the entire business. It just seemed like this weird alternate version of. It seemed like Renegades, like Rebels. Yes. It was like a very. Yeah. I still remember loving it, though. Right. Like, I think they almost like ran it maybe right after Superstars or something. It was. And yeah. And then they actually they switched it and it was in the morning. And then at one point it went yeah. at night, too. But that was it was great because there was a little bit of the familiarity of having the Freebirds and Iceman King Parsons. But then having a lot of those guys that you'd like the Terry Taylors. And at like the, the one man gang at that point was there and he was just like a monster. And it was just real kind of blood and guts and violence yeah. it was great so i yeah there's this brief window where i'm like a huge uwf fan as a kid yeah too bad they didn't have shirts or anything for that stuff well, but that was because that that when that came in it was a different product and bill watts had a different attitude towards his tv than what you had traditionally seen so that's another thing that really helped uh we got Derek. i got one more for you really um i thought we had more than that no i think that's that's pretty much uh we did the chic one and uh, we talked about uh, Ric Flair's title, and we talked about belts as props. We talked about territories. Okay. Uh, I got one more for you uh, from uh, that Robert Schwent Jr. had asked this question. He was talking about um, the Man Mountain Dean. Yes. So talking about how he had, was featured in a movie, and I'm going to kind of take his question. I'm going to spin it just a little bit on that. I'm not that familiar Whee! with uh, no, no, no. But I'm saying, so Man Mountain Dean, can, what can you tell me about Man Mountain Dean? Like, is there anything that, um, was he like a big? Yeah, yeah, he was a big, big fat guy. He was just a big fat guy. Gotcha. And he, that just made him kind of popular yeah, in that yeah. era. And then, um, so then talking about that, of course, Gorgeous George was a star at that time in the States. Uh, but uh, who, if any, were, uh, were there any wrestling stars that nearly achieved any kind of a celebrity status pre-television era? Was there anyone earlier? Was Gorgeous George kind of that? Well, start? no. Gorgeous George was the he was the first to take advantage of television because that was such a phenomenal thing. But previous to that, like there were you know newspaper and magazine accounts of Frank Gotch being an incredible wrestler, uh, Jim Londas, uh, where he was able to appear. Uh, you know he was well known. I have a. I have a collection of uh, Tijuana Bible reprints, which were the small sexually oriented, you know, pamphlets that were put around back in the day. Of one where their Jim Londis is featured in one of them. Okay, so he was enough of a celebrity that he would be lampooned in things that lamp, you know, oh, made sure. fun of celebrity. Yeah. But it was also very regional because. Without TV, it was the newspaper accounts of the matches that that's how the promoters would communicate what was coming up, 
you know, in their shows. There wasn't a national scene. There was right. nobody that was a national champion just because that wasn't that wasn't gone through like that. But you still had Strangler Lewis. Um, what locally in Houston you would have had Paul Bosch. Uh, in let's see Stu Hart would have been in New York would this celebrity consist of like being almost like for like promotional things for different like for car dealerships or was that how they were used on television and, and well, not before no, this television is, this I'm sorry television. but like making appearances at things was that or was it just- sure that that could be advertised but there were also newsreels you know like wrestling wrestling from the garden right. you know so there there was exposure and there were stars like that but these were still looked at as athletes because it was pre pre, you know sure you know it was still very much kayfabe still very much a closed society um but yeah there there were stars but just to answer the question jim londis ed strangler lewis um locally sockeye mcdonald you know any any depending on where you were uh, Vern Gagne was very popular before TV, but he was also popular in Texas and he was in Madison Square Garden. Sure. And then once TV came around, he was able to get in Chicago with Fred Kohler. Gotcha. You know. Gotcha. No, Gagne. Uh, Gotch was, gotcha was I got, earlier. I, I hear you. I hear who, what who you're saying. Who died of uremic poisoning or syphilis, depending on who you talk to. So that's pretty funny. What's, um... I mean, everybody died of syphilis back in the day. Come yeah, on. I mean, it was just... Sorry, Kyle. Yeah. Well, just, I mean. Yeah, yeah, Babe Ruth. Uh, Al Capone. Sonny Bono. He didn't. He died of a tree. Was that it? Yeah, he had a tree well, when he was Cher. Cher died of. Cher is still alive. Is Cher still alive? Oh, yeah. So this is kind of a wild card question. Oh, I don't. Yes, I don't. I don't mean to. Andy G to from Milwaukee. In. No, please. Uh, this is something I've always wanted to see what Derek thought about this. That I've always kind of had in my mind. I sometimes have this weird little fascination of um, trivia where you find out, oh, this person almost got cast in a movie, and then they were, and they weren't James Bond or they weren't Batman. And you always, it's just kind of interesting. Of, oh. The Alec Baldwin was almost Batman and then couldn't do it based on schedule, like things like that. So in a, I guess in like the mainstream Vince things or maybe the big push of the Crockett's, do you feel there was ever like a push with somebody where um, an individual was either going to be um, given the mantle of a gimmick or a character and then they ended up putting it on somebody else and it became huge or... Um, Spivey with like Waylon Mercy comes to mind of something that they really tried to push and then it never went anywhere. And do you feel there are any gimmicks they gave up on too early that could have been big, but they just gave up on it? Or... Maybe anything special that you like that you thought that. Yeah, I always like the like alternate history of like what could have been. Um, there are hundreds of stories like that. And we're going to start right now. Story number one. Well, Buddy Landell was allegedly supposed to be given the heavyweight championship and feuded with Ric Flair, but got too coked up and decided he didn't have to go to that TV taping. So, they And the get- start of that is at the gathering and post that, wasn't it? Because he was like the U.S. champ with, and he had... National champ. Or national champion, and he had J.J. Dillon with him. Right. And he was already teasing after that show saying, 
I'm coming after Flair, like or we, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, but then then he left. Um, uh, Number two, Barry Windham was set for the big push in the Crockett, you know, like at the beginning of the Crockett era, but went to the WWF. So suddenly, Dusty turned and said, "Magnum, you're my guy." So that was the push Barry Windham was supposed to have. So would Magnum have not had? I mean, he would have just been no. He would have been figured in, but he wouldn't have been point. given that. Yeah, sure. Um, Butch Reed was supposed to capture the Intercontinental Championship from uh, Ricky Steamboat, but didn't make the taping or something, so they went with Honky Tonk Man. Um, there it is. Mine's blown in this room. Uh, let's see. Terry Taylor. Number four. Terry Taylor was originally slotted in for the Mr. Perfect. I can't remember if it was for Mr. Perfect. Yeah, it must have been Mr. Perfect, but instead Kurt Henning got it, so they, he went with the Red Rooster. And then finally, just to be very topical. Number five. Just to be very topical, the Big Van Vader gimmick in Japan was originally slated for Jim Helwig. But the WWF wanted him first, and a lot of people got in Inoki's ear and said, this guy can't work. So they went with Leon White, who became Vader. And now they're wrestling in heaven. God, I hope not. That wouldn't be a good match. <laughs> it wouldn't be a good match. No. But God is good, and he's a forgiving God, and he's going to enjoy the match regardless of... Uh, you're taking this a weird... <laughs> but yeah, there, there are countless stories like that of... Uh, uh, here's even one, the, the Fabulous Ones. When they were put together in Memphis, um, six. When they were put together in Memphis, they weren't getting the right kind of appeal because they were too good looking, you know. Which is hard to believe. Well, no, no. Well, I mean, they let's were, think about Steve Kern a little shush, bit. Shush, shush. Because back in the day, they were good looking enough that guys felt threatened by them, like, "Oh, these these are going to steal our ladies." So then Jarrett came up with the "Hey, grow five o'clock shadows." And that, that changed their look enough that they looked rugged that the guys could accept it. It's, oh, yeah, they're one of the boys instead of they're here to take all of our women. So it's often tweaking a gimmick like that that happens. Um, but even isn't that with Midnight Express because Conjury just sh didn't show up. He stopped coming, right? Yeah, that was... And then they, they still don't, Lane. They still don't know. But remember that they weren't the original Midnight Express. Right. Original Midnight Express was a stable... And then, uh, as part of the talent trade between Memphis, that's when Condry and Eaton got put together. Right. Um, let's see. As far as things they gave up on, we brought up the fabulous ones. The new fabulous ones were horrible. Yes. Because they tried to just they tried to shove those down the people's throats. They didn't like it. Um, I felt they gave up on Gold Dust. Really? Yes, because I love that gimmick when it came out when it was so freaky and like. When he's feuding with Ahmed Johnson, he's eating the candy bar. I thought that was sure. just brilliant, but then it was too much of uh, we're getting too much heat on this. We gotta we gotta change the gimmick. I think they've gotten a lot of mileage out of that. I think they've really been able to take it. Yeah, all over the I place. mean they it, he's been around, but I thought they could have you know I, I thought that was a good gimmick. What about uh, where do you where do you think the new breed would have ended up? My favorite tag team. Uh, Sean Royal doesn't get in that car accident. We got the new breed. Uh, no, they would have gone on to other things. Just the new, the new breed were good, but they were also very young, and they would have both matured into something else. Yeah. Sorry. I love just having what we have of them. Okay. You know? I just think well, in 2018, you know, they've been partying like it's 1999, <laughs> 1999 for almost is... 20 years. 
Yes. Still, it's like my favorite tag team ever. So Dusty Rhodes is president. I guess, Andy, since we have you here, what are some of your favorite gimmicks? Are there any gimmicks you thought people gave up on too quick? Perks? Oxys? What do you got? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess my mind goes to, I guess, just those things that never happened or, like, injury casualties like Magnum TA, who I think would probably have gotten, like, this massive push and been big in that. Right. The convention of what, the you know, the Crockett stuff was or NWA. Um, Does he do conventions now just because you said the uh, word convention? Do you think? I feel like I've never really seen him advertise at a convention. He must, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. It seems like he's regionally huge. Sure. Um, I mean that comes to mind. It's like the the injury that sort of snuffs people out who I think could have been big. Uh, I really like uh, to me. Um, I mean, just gimmicks I like in general are sort of um, like a hot stuff Eddie Gilbert or Pillman, which is sort of the unhinged, sort of middle class. Um, person on the card that's like a really unique character and they're almost um, getting by almost just all on personality versus like a concept like Goldust even though I do like Goldust a lot and I thought it was such a weird great unique idea but yeah the Pillman's Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert um, gosh I mean you know there's right. just all these weird the dirty white boy there's all these sort of like strange moderate kind of gimmicks that the individual who's doing them really gets them over and they almost like they flirt with the top a little bit the gimmick is themselves yes the gimmick is this is like this is who they are and this is how they perform yeah you can you know what's funny is that you can just say pillman that's a one word name right like and you know and you you know exactly what it is but it's tied just to him it's not a uh a concept that can be written on a line like the undertaker is an undead sort of supernatural character. Right. So I like that when someone organically just like does it through personality and becomes like so memorable. So speaking of memorable, uh, this last December, uh, <laughs> Derek's like, uh Oh, uh, Andy and I had the chance to take our show and perform inside of a public library. Um, which was pretty unique, I think, in the world of independent wrestling, especially that the fact that the library was open at the time and people could still check out books while we were wrestling in it. Uh, and so Jay Doherty sent a question that he said that he wanted us to explain the ins and outs of getting Mondo Lucha into the public library uh, and especially interested in the liability or anything else to do with the event. And I got to say, this was Andy's baby from the get-go. And... Um, it was an, uh, an amazing experience that actually got some great traction and coverage nationwide. And we're still hearing about it to this day from library conventions around the country and things like that. So, Andy, explain that. Explain the ins and outs. How does something like this come together? How, do, how does it do its thing? Uh, so with some of our lives, you know, outside of doing the show or outside, you know, kind of being in wrestling a bit. Um, I've worked in advertising for a good handful of years and um, kind of doing film things. And uh, an advertising agency, uh, Kramer Crassel, which is a huge national, international uh, ad agency that I worked with, um, there was a team there um, that, you know, over over the years had become big Mondo Lucha fans, actually. So that was 
I was that I always felt really supported, like just kind of having a lot of these um, creative directors and creative people really get into it. So, I mean, uh, the purpose of our show, in addition to kind of elevating like what all these performers can do, is to like open up what's great about pro wrestling to non wrestling fans and kind of make them see what the secret is all about. So, that's one of our goals. And I think when that succeeded, it kind of exposes itself to you know, sort of these big people at ad agencies and they always had that in the back of their mind and they do a lot of pro bono work for the Milwaukee Public Library here and they do these events called Library Loud and there's been a, a really high level haunted house. There's been um, kind of a huge live music concert in the beautiful historic downtown library here in Milwaukee. So they've been very aggressive about um, the things they're programming or these kind of ideas they're coming up with to get people into the library doing kind of non-traditional things and show people that libraries are just community places and um, kind of a place where you can come together or resource as opposed to just checking out a book. Um, so they uh, came to me and, you know, in many, many ways, um, kind of creatively went out on a limb to pitch the idea of let's have Mondo Lucha inside of a library. Let's bring pro wrestling inside the library where it's, you would never expect it. You know, we kind of assumed it was maybe never even done before <laughs> that right. someone's wrestled inside of a library. So we're, we're proud about that. And, um, yeah, they, they pitched it to the, the library network and, um, there was a lot of hand holding, and um, I had to attend like a, a ton of meetings with <laughs> boards of directors and you know sort of corporate people that underwrite these things and and kind of w hold their hands or walk them through as to like what this is and um, you know what type of show we are and how this will work and it's not going to be crazy and we're not going to burn on the library or rip books up or right. anything even and though we did yes even though we did rip up books <laughs> um, and it did get crazy so there you know there were a lot of layers of kind of going through corporate kind of non-for-profit um uh layers and people that normally don't deal with something as you know as circus-like as the world of pro wrestling and everybody bought in everybody believed in it and it was it was one of our most unique fun shows i and, agree and we got you know we got some national press out of it and um we've had a couple of inquiries now over the last couple of months of like library systems from baltimore um and philadelphia were had emailed me and they're they're kind of curious about how do we bring wrestling to you know to the philadelphia library system or whatever so it's it's mind-boggling the um I, the thing I think is funny when you go about this and so you handled all the meetings and you dealt with all the, the higher ups and the muckety mucks, as I like to say, we couldn't bring Kyle into that. Yes. And, um, it's funny that people know wrestling, like everyone likes to do the thing and like, well, wrestling, it's, you know, quote unquote, it's fake or like, are they like treated as like, it's. They'll be like, oh, it's wrestling. It's professional wrestling. It's sports entertainment. But then when the rubber hits the road and a lot of those people are there face-to-face -face with you, they're scared or they're really apprehensive about the guys. So when we brought Derek in and they're just like, they don't know how to act or behave around him. They're just like, hi. How? You know, and Derek's just chill and he's relaxed and everything. And uh, But they, 
So for as much as people like to say to you, or they like to say in general, if you talk to people like, oh, well, wrestling, blah, yeah, it's a bunch of guys in underwear doing fake fighting. When it comes time for them to meet the wrestlers, they are truly kind of, they all of a sudden that certainty that they had before is kind of thrown out the window. And there's a little bit of uncertainty going on with them going forward and meeting the people. And that's what I always love. I, I like seeing yeah, that Yeah, definitely. It. That yeah, was fun. that's funny. But yeah, I, I guess like, you know, to think about it now, it's like a lot, a lot of credit really goes to that team at CK and, and a lot of really creative people. Because when you think about it, like these are people that are uh, accountable to some really huge things. I mean, uh, that place works on Corona and Porsche and all these like right. huge, huge global brands. And, you know, they're kind of in some ways part of corporate America, but they were like crazy enough and you know um taking risk enough creatively to like to want to do something like that so i mean you don't you don't find that a lot right and then thinking about too taking it the extra step further not just having the wrestling but creating the area where the kids could cut promos in front of a green screen holding a title belt and then working on it with library staff to like edit it or we don't put it together or whatever off to the side that they had th that going on. And there were just so many other facets, make your own masks. And there were all these different things and the autographs and all that, just making this like totally interactive experience. Absolutely. That the, you know, those, it just, it, it was like a win-win for everybody. And it kind of, it gets that stigma off of wrestling and it takes, uh, you know, kind of takes it up uh, an extra notch. And I think it opens a lot of people's eyes. So it was a great, yeah. Like when Andy brought the idea to me, I was just like, this sounds bonkers, but this could be super cool. So yeah, it was a great, I mean, Andy did an amazing job with it. It was super awesome. So what did you think of the library, Derek? I wasn't there. That, well, you, you, you uh, watched the live stream that we yeah, did, right? Yeah. What'd you think of that? I like my friend, the Russian. I like the commercials he did, but I did hate that little blonde kid Finnegan. That kid wrecked every shot. Yeah, that's true. There was the one. Can't kid. wait for him to grow up. I'm gonna punch him in the face. Yes. Um, but, uh, is, if you had the chance to work the library, do you think that's something you would enjoy? Oh, sure. <laughs> well, we'll keep you in mind for next time. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate that. I mean, it was, it was nice and I, I I'm sorry. You're going to be angry with this. I Andy's going to be angry with this. I know my girlfriend was angry with this when I was like this way after her Mondo Lucha. It's like, it's great. To, I look forward to the anticipation of it, to working it. But once it's done, I'm more into, okay, let's do it again. Right. I mean, because... I hear you. You you can do one shot anywhere. Sure. But when you can build it up and make a brand and make a deal of it, then then I'll be more, you know, I'll put it over a little bit more. But no, until absolutely. then it was, hey, it was a great show. Let's do let's it again. Let's do it again. Right. Yeah. Which is funny because that's coming from, and I mean this with all love and respect, coming from the guy that I think every year says to me and Andy after Mondo, how much more can you do? How many more times can you do this? Kind of. <laughs> so it's kind of like a damned if we do, damned if we don't, right? Yes. Which is great. But, you know, I understand you've sold out this year. Yeah, we did pretty good. Like in record time. Yes. So you've got a lot of money in the kitty. Well, let's not. I mean, you know, I'm just saying. Of... Just saying, I've got this table at home that's a little off kilter. You know, it'd be really great if I had a nice thick envelope to, to put under one of those there. legs. Yeah, and... we'll see. Okay. We could, yeah, we'll see how that works out this year. Okay. Just talk to your friend, the Russian, and see if he can 
I would, but he doesn't talk. He just well, not apparently he does because the other day at Taco Fest he was shouting. That was the result of a lot of work. Yeah, (laughs) that was okay. That was uh, uh, some hooked on phonics. Some uh, what's that stuff called? The Rosetta Stone action. Yes, yes. going on. Okay, and you notice he had no hint of accent. Yes, I know. Yeah, he did a. He, I believe, I taught him. Come on, we had to work on that a long time. That was it. Was uh, it was very impressive. Yes. Um. But yeah, the again, it's just kind of a cool thing, and I think us trying to. But it was very cool. It was cool to get the pub. Uh, I really enjoyed the commercials. Those were neat. Uh, did I tell you the the small world aspect of those commercials? No. That the librarian that was in the commercials yes uh gets her hair and nails done at my girlfriend's parents salon huh so once i was able to say hey you know i know jan and i I know x and y very well she's like oh it's such a small world so that got that got the russian over with her see that's awesome stuff yes well speaking of being over it's about that time on this one right sure uh, hey, ladies and gentlemen, mostly gentlemen, I'm assuming, uh, thank you for listening. Listeners, uh, people who have uh, Send been... nudes. No, because I just said it's mostly gentlemen. Yeah. Send them to Derek. Um, but I just wanted to say a sincere thank you to everybody. I, I noticed we've got yes, some listeners from California much. that uh, were chiming in, some people on the East Coast. Big shout out to, of course, Joey Eastman, those guys, the We Got Heat guys. Thanks, Joey. Uh, you know, always uh, sharing and uh, liking what we do, and we really do appreciate it. And it was awesome talking to Ego uh, about uh, him listening. I'm a big fan of the show, which I was a little afraid. Of. I thought he would shit all over it. Yeah, and was... he's put the show over too. To so yeah, people. and and you know what? And so we talk about those two superstars. If they can put the show over to their friends and get the shares out there, how about you guys? Uh, <laughs> Derek's like, oh, I'm just kidding. No, but seriously, share with your friends. We're on Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes. Um, you topics. Know, topics. Send, send us topics. Yeah, send us some topics, too. We'd love to know. Got another 20 episodes to get done or something. Yes, yes. Uh, all tonight. So uh, <laughs> that's the joke. But anyhow. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Truly, uh, it, we're having a good time, and we're going to be back on this uh, probably a little bit more regularly. We should hope. <laughs> that was a lie. Yeah, that was a lie. Incidentally, Jay threw me under the bus to a few people saying that I'm the diva. That it's it's Kyle, hard to get this. What do you think? Yep. Oh yeah, it's true. I mean, so yes, no, I'll so agree, it's very. It's yes. I'm just. Uh, you can't just turn this faucet on, man. No, right. No, and you know what? And things happen. And and you know what? And let's be honest. Kyle's working on a movie right now. Yep. So Kyle's doing a movie. Um, Andy and I are getting Mondo together uh, for the fall. Derek is um, uh, waiting for the new book on British wrestling that just came out. I yes. just ordered that. So. so there it is. So he'll be sitting around waiting for that. So um, again, a lot of us are busy. Some of us are just waiting for books in the mail. But it's all good. Read that book and we'll do an episode on British wrestling. Incidentally, did I tell you I'm doing a 1,000 push-up, 3,000 squat challenge? Really? Yeah. When's this? Is it Currently, over 1,000 days? Uh, it's over 30 days. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if that was like one a day. Yes. That's pretty good. I'm uh, Yeah, it's, you're impressive with that stuff. We should have saved that. That could have been one of our goddamn openings. Just take it home. Dude. All right. You've been listening to Cigars and Conversations with Derek St. Holmes Esquire. Brought to you exclusively at All the Gimmicks. Stitcher, iTunes, and now Google Play, I believe I said it was. Yeah. Kyle's like, I don't know. 
Thanks again for listening. Rate, review, tell your friends. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.